we'll go ahead and have a seat. Good morning, everyone. Good to be with you here this morning as it is week after week. I uh, love the opportunity to uh, share with you and to be able to worship together and just find encouragement from being with you on Sunday mornings week after week. Uh, we've, it's January 22nd, so I, I read the other day that January 20th is the typical day when people give up on their New Year's resolutions. So if you are still holding strong today, you've made it over the hump. The rest of the year is all downhill. You've made it. So you're on the home stretch now. So keep going with that. Um, we've, we've been talking here in January. Uh, as a church, we've been using this season, as many of us do in our individual lives. As a church corporately, we've been using this month to kind of refocus and remind ourselves of our purpose. Remind ourselves of what are the things that uh, what has God called us to? What's the mission that he has for us? And, and so we want to use this month to kind of orient ourselves under what is God calling us to as a church. And, and so we're going to continue doing that um, here today. And uh, as we have on the screen there, we said that we exist to help people discover life in Christ and to learn to follow him. And this is based on the Great Commission of Matthew, or in Matthew 28 when Jesus said, Make disciples of all the nations and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And, and this this idea of, of finding life, discovering what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and it's more than just forgiveness of sins. This is to experience the abundant life that comes from this life of following Jesus and knowing Him and being known by Him. And, and so we want to be a church that's all about helping people discover that life. And we want to be a church that represents the ways of Jesus as we learn to follow Him and as we're being changed into people who are are. are uh, image of Christ, which we'll talk about more today. And so that's what we want to be about as a church. Now, we've narrowed it down. There's a few areas that most churches have, This kind of because it's very biblical, but um, kind of the idea of how do we go about that. We have loving God, loving one another, and loving our world. And we say it this way. We want to be people who encounter God, connect with others, and love and serve. Go love and serve our world. And so a few weeks ago, we talked about what it meant to encounter God. And that idea of encountering God is we want to orient our lives around the character, the nature of God, who He is, His holiness, His majesty. And the more we can see who God really is, we begin to be transformed and changed because we understand who we are. And we understand who we don't need to be because that's because of all that He is when we're in His presence. So we want to first encounter God. It's how we need to begin and develop this heart where we just love and honor our God. And, and then we talk about we want to be people who connect with others. We want to love one another. So we say it connecting groups because we believe that it's hard to love one another in a group this size. So we want you to be in smaller groups. And, and those are places where you can be transparent and authentic, where you can share some of your real struggles and your doubts and your fears and your questions. And it's a place where the people will accept you and love you there. Now, they may encourage you. They may challenge you to surrender your idols and give up the strongholds and, and to allow yourself to be changed and transformed, but they are going to love you and accept you. That's why we want to connect in groups. And here's the thing about our groups. You might say, I don't want to end up in a group with a bunch of perfect people and I'm the only one. So we have... We, we, we will intentionally do this. Whatever group you sign up with, we promise you we won't put you with perfect people. Okay? 
we make sure everyone who signs up for a group, if they're perfect, we don't put them in groups. So you will be, no matter what group you're in, the people you're with are messed up. In fact, probably more messed up than you are. So, you know, so that's the type of groups that we want to be. We want to connect with others in groups. And then finally, we say we want to go love and serve our world for Christ. We want people who, who love our world as Christ loved the world. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today of what that looks like. And that sometimes for us means we get on a plane or we put someone on a plane and they go somewhere else and love and serve others. Sometimes it means you might get in the car and drive up to visit one of our, our projects in inner city LA and work with them and love and serve the poor and underprivileged uh, in LA. It might be. But it also means that we love and serve others in our daily walk. The people you work with, the people you live with, the people in the stores where you shop, the, the parents that sit in the stands with you when you're watching your future Hall of Fame children play Little League Baseball. You love and serve them. And you love and serve the people that are in your classroom as a teacher and the parents who are connected with them. We want people who love and serve our world. That's our posture as we go. So it's not a thing we do, it's people that we are being changed into, people who love and serve. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But before we even get into that part, portion of the season, we have a special opportunity of two things. One, highlighting one of the projects that we focus on in the DR Congo, and uh, because we have uh, some people from Congo with us here today. But then but the thing that I don't want us to miss is it's not just about, oh, here's a way we love and serve by supporting a ministry overseas. No, one thing I love about the ministry of Tabitha Centers we're going to talk about in a minute is that they are loving and serving people in their world with their gifts, with their passions, where God has placed them. And it's something that we come alongside and support them in because they're modeling what it looks like when Jesus transforms us and gives us that freedom to love others. So would you give a nice warm welcome for a few of our guests here today who are coming on up? All right, well great to have you here. So we have um, a few guests with us here today. And uh, one, just go ahead and quickly introduce yourself, tell us your name and where you're from. <laughs> My name is Emily Hostetler. Um, I grew up in Congo, and now I've been, I served two years as a short-term missionary there, and I've been accepted to go back for long-term. My name is Claudine Selenga. I'm from Congo. All right. And at the end there, all the way. <laughs> uh, my name is Brittany Bender, and I'm from the UTC area in San Diego. <laughs> all right, Brittany. <laughs> And uh, we'll share in a moment, you'll see how we are all connected. So and Emily's here to uh, help us with translation here today. So even though we know Claudine does speak English, so, uh, but, uh, so this morning we just want to start off and share a little bit about, we've heard some about the Tabitha, Tabitha Centers, but how did God um, lead you to caring for and loving and serving these girls in the Tabitha Centers? Oui, tant que tu remarques qu'il y a une chasse à paix, tu m'en as que tes besoins et ça vraiment ma casse pour na bilingue. When Claudine and her husband moved to Kinshasa and she started looking around for what she wanted to do, she saw a really big need among the young women in Kinshasa. Na ko pesa detail en ce temps mais na zo pesa moi résumer mon kien en salo to salaki. 
Um, so that was where it started, was within her neighborhood in, in a Bible study. But um, she wants to share a little bit about how God blessed that and has grown it. Uh, we started about three and a half years ago. We now have 60 centers in Kinshasa. There's somewhere around 1,500 girls that we're working with. There's 100 volunteers working in the, the Tabitha centers to teach. Over the last three graduations, we've had 102 graduates. In March, we'll have our fourth graduation, and there's 91 girls hoping to graduate then. In the name of all of the women of the Tabitha Centers and in the name of her family, she wants to say thank, uh, greetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thank you for what you've done and God bless you for that. Uh, the training goes for about nine months. And then they go into a three-month internship. And then they go into their test and they graduate. We're teaching sewing, um, cosmetology, hairdressing, hospitality, and English. We're really blessed by how God is growing the Tabitha centers, but we also encounter some problems. Uh, we have a gift that we'd like to give to you, the church. It's an expression of our heart of thanks to you. The things that, that you're doing to help us are, have a lot of value for the life of people in Kinshasa. It's for the support that you send to her family specifically. And for the centers that we're going to be able to open in your name in Kinshasa. In Kinshasa, we say to educate a woman is to educate the family. Because the woman is the woman of the family. This is a symbol of a woman who has a lot of work in the family, and we're giving it to you. Thank you. Well, we're going to. Well, let's. We have something for you. We'll get to your gift for us to you in just a moment. We're gonna. Let me just bring Brittany into this, all the way from UTC. <laughs> And we, we thank you so much for this, Claudine. We, we, it, is our, just, it is really our privilege and joy to partner with you, and we are blown away to see how God is transforming lives and hearts through your ministry and your willingness to serve the people of Kinshasa. And it is our pleasure to join with you. So thank you for this. It really is. So, uh, Brittany um, from UTC, you have an interesting connection here to Claudine and the Tabitha Centers, and and you had a, a kind of a re- project that you had to work on through school. 
Um, but you found a way to say, God, how do you want to, how can I use this for something with more purpose? And so tell us a little bit of how you got connected with Claudine. Yeah, so I was a grad student um, in a master's program that was geared towards teaching English language. Um, and I had an assignment, basically a big project one semester, where I had to find someone to tutor um, and create lesson plans and things like that. And um, it was looking like it was going to be very difficult to find anyone to tutor. And then I was sitting in church, and um, Dale mentioned um, the Tabitha Centers and how they work to empower women through education, and uh, which is something I'm very passionate about. And so it turned out that Claudine actually needed an English tutor. Um, and so we started tutoring over Skype. Um, every Sunday for about an hour. And it was my absolute privilege to be able to tutor someone who is such a rock star <laughs> warrior for God. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it was amazing. It was amazing to see God turn something that was so ordinary, like a school assignment, into something that was impactful and gave me purpose. Mm. Well, we, and the reason we wanted Brittany up here is one, because <laughs> we want you to see that God can use you with your gifts and the opportunities you have with just a heart that says, God, how do you want to use me? And in in an opportunity to make an impact even across the globe. And so we want to thank you for that, Brittany. And and Claudine, how was Brittany as a teacher? (laughs) (laughs) You can say say the nice thing. We don't know what you... (laughs) Um, she she said she was a great teacher and she taught her a lot of things, especially uh, English expressions. Oh, great! <laughs> Excellent. Well, English expressions are are a good ones. So we we uh, Claudine, we have a gift as a church during the holiday season. We um, we're raising extra funds to because we really believe in what you're doing over there. And, uh, and your husband, Salenga, we, we care so much about you. And so we raised some extra funds to support more Tabitha centers. And so we want to present you this check of $5,000 from our congregation to you. So. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Let's give them a hand for being here with us today. So. Well, that's fun, isn't it? That's the good stuff that we get to do. I love that. Pray with me here as we continue with our morning. God, we thank you so much again for this morning. We thank you for the ministry that's happening in Kinshasa and for those hundreds and hundreds of women who are not only finding hope for their physical lives with new job and skills, but Lord, they are finding hope in you as their spiritual lives are being transformed. And uh, we ask that we would be a church that continues to be transformed as well by your presence, by your glory, God. And this morning, would you speak to us as we look into your word? Transform who we are. Um, Help us be more like you. Um, And we thank you now, God, in your name. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles up to the book of Luke. We are in chapter 10 here this morning, and we want to talk about why Do we want to be a church that goes and loves and serves others, that goes with a posture of love and service of others? So we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. This may be a familiar passage for some of you. I bet even if you have not opened your Bibles ever before, there's a couple of characters in here. 
that you'll be familiar with. And so let's look in Matthew chapter, excuse me, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Now this lawyer is a teacher of the law, someone who's well acquainted with the Old Testament, who's well acquainted with the commandments, and stood up and puts Jesus to the test and says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, well, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? Now, I love this because in good rabbinical teaching, you respond to a question with a question. It's a way to help people learn more. Parents do it all the time, right? My kids will say, hey, dad, how do you spell anonymous? And I'll say, well, what does the dictionary say? Or nowadays we say, well, what does Google tell you? You know, that's how one of the ways that we teach. Now, Jesus is doing it because it's a good way to learn. I do it because I actually don't know the answer. But that's a different thing. (laughs) So Jesus says, well, what is written in the law? What do you think is the way to inherit eternal life? And the lawyer answered him. He says, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But, G- but wishing to justify himself, he says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now let's stop right there. Let's kind of see what's happening in this story. You see, because this guy is well acquainted with the Old Testament law. And he knows that one of the, what they call the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength. And love the neighbor as yourself. And he says, yeah, if I do that, I'll inherit eternal life. But notice what happens here. Jesus says, you're right. Go, go do that. And the man's response, wishing to justify himself, he says, well, who's my neighbor? Now, I don't know about you, but let's think about this for a moment. If God comes to us and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength. So basically, all of your thoughts all of your emotions, all of your might, which is your resources, your time, your gifts, your abilities. So everything that makes up who you are, love God with all of that, all of the time, 24 hours a day, every day of your life. Just do that. Okay, sure. Oh yeah, and when you're done doing that, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if I'm in a conversation with Jesus and he says, do those things and you're good. My response probably isn't, oh, okay, so who's my neighbor? My response is, how in the world do you expect me to do this? How am I possibly going to love you with everything I've got every minute of the day, every day of my life? And then if I do that, how am I going to possibly love my neighbor all the time? That should be the question this lawyer asks. But he thought he was on the right track, actually. He wanted to say, well, then who's my neighbor? Maybe in his mind, he's thinking, well, people on my right who live on this side of me, that's my parents, I love them, like myself. And on the other side's my kids, I love them. So I think as long as he says your neighbor, neighbor, I'm probably good. Often in Judaism, they thought of your neighbor might have included your tribe or the nation of Israel. He might have thought, yeah, I can probably do that. So he says, I think I'm good, so Jesus, who's, all right, who's my neighbor? Now, I don't know about you, but I have really good neighbors here in Encinitas. I do. I like my neighbors. Sometimes I don't like their dogs, but I like my neighbors. On all sides of us, so I have good people who live in my neighborhood. 
But it's not always easy to love your neighbors. Even when we lived, we used to live up in Mission Viejo, and we lived in one of those starter home neighborhoods with three kids and 900 square feet. And your backyard, you know, you step like this and you hit the back fence. Um, but and so on the side of our house, to make a little bit more room, we didn't have a fence there. The part of our fence was the neighbor's house. It was their garage. And in fact, in my backyard, I had their gas meter was in my backyard. And their electric meter was in my backyard. That was my fence. And even the breaker box to their house was in my backyard. And so, you know, you live really close to neighbors. It's not always easy to love them as yourself. And we had one summer when we had just two kids. We had a toddler and a baby. And our neighbors uh, on one side of us had a couple college kids and a high schooler living there without their parents. And, and we loved them, um, but they decided for the month of July to make it part national party month. And, and, and every night there's these pretty loud parties and they usually end respectfully early, like maybe 10 or whatever, but sometimes it went really late. Well, one night the music was loud. It was, they're crammed with people. It was not, it was not getting quiet. So, but we love our neighbors as ourselves. So at night, I decided that I would walk out in my backyard and I walk. <laughs> Let me get there. <laughs> it's way funnier if you wait. <laughs> so I walked out to my backyard over to my fence, which happened to be my fence, just happened to be their house. And yes, I opened up their breaker box and I put my hand on their power, their master switch, and I shut that party down. <laughs> And I closed the breaker box and I turned around in my boxers and I dropped the mic and I walked back into my house in peace because I loved my neighbors, but it's not easy to always love them as myself. We're going to fail sometimes. It's really hard to do it. It's really hard. So here's a story of someone who says, oh yeah, Jesus, I think I'm on the right track. I do this. I love you all the time. I love my neighbors. Just make sure, let's to be clear, who are my neighbors? And Jesus goes into a story in verse 30 of Luke chapter 10. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers, and they stripped him and they beat him, and then they went away, leaving the man half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw them, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. If you like taking notes in your Bible, underline that. He felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I'll repay it to you. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into robber's hands? And the lawyer said to him, well, the one who showed mercy towards him. And Jesus said, now go and do the same. You see, in this story, we have an example of what it looks like to love and serve others. But even this example is pretty extreme. 
This example is difficult to live up to. My guess is the lawyer walked away a little bit discouraged, (laughs) thinking, oh, now the question is, how in the world can I do that? See, in this story, there's a picture of a priest, and the priest walked on the other side of the road. It's probably because maybe he thought the man was dead, and if a priest touched him, he would be unclean. In fact, they had a belief that even if his shadow touched a dead man, he'd be unclean. So he passes by on the other side of the road. The Levite does the same. He's one who assists the priest. But then a Samaritan comes by. You see, when Jesus told this story, the Samaritan was shocking. Because the Samaritans were people that the, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, hated. Because they were half Jew and half non-Jew. And so they thought that they were defiled and they didn't like the Samaritans. So the Samaritans were rejected by them. This teacher of the law wouldn't have liked the Samaritans. He couldn't even say the Samaritan at the end. He just said the one who showed mercy. See, Jesus shocks him with the story. And when we think about we want to be a church that goes and we love and serve others as we go we run the risk of possibly telling you to leave here and be a good Samaritan. And I want to tell you this morning, the point of this message is not that you go and be a good Samaritan. Now, should we do good things? Should we serve people like the Samaritan? Of course. But if I tell you to go and be the good Samaritan, here's what's probably going to happen. As you're going to run over to In-N-Out today for lunch, and you're going to buy a, a double burger, and when you're leaving you're going to see someone on the side of the road with a sign that says, I'm hungry, please help. And because we just told you to be a good Samaritan, you might say, you know what? In the name of Jesus, have my double-double. And you're going to give them the double burger, and you're going to drive away and just say, God, thank you that you used me today. And you're going to even think, That's kind of, that feels, feels kind of good. That's a good thing. But later this week, you might be running late to pick up your kids from school. And you're going to drive by somebody on the side of the road who's pushing their car because they ran out of gas. It might actually be me. (laughs) And you're going to drive by and you're going to think, you know, a good Samaritan probably would stop and help, but I, I don't want my kids waiting. And so now you're in a dilemma and you decide you're going to go get your kids. But when you drive by, you pray and say, God, please forgive me for not being a good Samaritan. I didn't fulfill what you told me to do this week. And you're going to eventually become frustrated. And feel shame. And realize this is too hard. So we don't want to tell you to go and be a good Samaritan. That's not the point. Now, again, we'll talk about that in a minute. We do want to love and serve others. But we're not going to do it perfectly. It's just not going to happen. And those are the extreme examples, right? Right? Those aren't the examples of waking up in the morning and loving and serving the people of your house every day. That's not the people that you work with and your favorite coworker that you try to avoid all the time. I'm not even talking about loving and serving them. We're talking about the extreme examples. But if the only message we get today is be a good Samaritan, it leads to burnout and frustration. See, as a church, when we want to be a church that loves and serves others, we need to have the right motivation to do it. The motivation can't be because God said so or because a pastor said so. Because we're going to get frustrated. 
I want to look at this story from a different angle here today. And it's an angle that, as a teaching team was processing this a couple weeks ago, we realized there's something unique about this story. And it's a message that we don't want to miss. It's easy for us to look at the story and say, well, am I the priest? Am I the Levite? Okay, I want to be the Samaritan. But I want to propose something different, that you are a character in this story. But it's the unexpected one. See, I believe that you and I are the person who was beat, who was robbed, who was left for dead on the side of the road. I believe that in this story, what Jesus is trying to say is that there's some people out there who are hopeless and who are dying and who are lost, and it's you and it's me. And then here comes somebody who's rejected, who one day the crowds are going to cry, crucify him because he's not the one we thought he would be. Get him out of here. The rejected one comes along and has compassion. He has compassion on the broken ones, the ones who are lost, the ones who are hopeless. And not only does he reach down and heal our wounds and save us from our sin and rescue our hurt and send us on a new life, he pays the price. Do you see the symbolism here? The cost is all on the rejected one in the story. He takes all the cost. He pays the price. He says, whatever it costs, I will pay it for this person who doesn't deserve it. And this person, I'm doing this because I have compassion. They didn't earn it. They're not going to pay it back. I take the burden. You see, when we see ourselves in this story as the ones whom Christ rescues, that this is about the power of what God does reaching down to us. He's the only one who can perfectly love his neighbor. He's the only one who perfectly can show mercy. We receive that. And here's the question. Who do you think goes away more willing to love and serve others? The lawyer who heard the story or the person who received love and mercy? You see, our motivation for loving and serving others isn't because somebody said so. No, that's a good, I mean, that's valid reason. We want to honor God with our lives. But our motivation is because we have been loved and served and shown mercy. Our motivation, as it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, is we love because He first loved us. This is the fuel that we have as a church to be people who love and serve others, is when we orient ourselves under the truth, the life that says we, we understand what God has done for us. We understand that Jesus has rescued us. We understand compassion when we see ourselves in this story. Therefore, we are free then to give compassion, to give mercy. And we're going to stumble and fall. We're going to keep that double burger to ourselves every once in a while. But when we keep going back to, God, what we have received from you, would you allow that to become our fuel for living? It's not out of obligation. It's out of response to what God has done. So in, other words, in, in order to be a church that loves and serves others, we need to know what Jesus has already done for us. That's our motivation. Second is this, 
To be a church that loves and serves others, we need to have the right target. We need to be aiming at the right thing. We need to be doing this for the right reasons. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, a few years ago, my wife and I were in uh, the country of Turkey. And we, rent, we flew into western Turkey. We rented a car, got a paper map. And we were going to a couple ancient cities because I'm a nerd like that. We were going to these archaeological sites that were uh, places of the, the churches mentioned in Revelation, like Ephesus and Laodicea and these kind of ancient biblical cities. And so we were driving to a town called Pamaluke. Now Pamaluke has these hot springs that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. If you're going to be hot or cold, he's referring to this town that now is called Pamaluke. And so my wife and I were going to go there. They have these ancient Roman hot springs, these baths. They even have the old marble pillars that were there during the first century, the same ones that Paul sat next to, I'm pretty sure. So we were, we were right there. But we were going to Pamaluke. And so we started driving down the highway and, and we saw the sign, turn off the road, turn left to Pamaluke. So we did, I turned left and the road was a dirt road, which seemed a little odd because this is a tourist area with hotels and, and, and tourist shops and buses, but it was a dirt road. So we took the dirt road and about a half mile off the highway, we were in the town square and everything was dirt and the houses were made of bricks and clay and there was one mosque in the center of the town square. And there was two older gentlemen sitting on a porch, which looked like maybe a, a convenience store. It clearly was not the Pamaluke where we were going to soak in the medicinal hot springs. And so this is one thing that I know, though. Um, for me, I was tempted to get out, to park the car, order some tea, sit down with these older gentlemen, smile awkwardly at each other for an hour while we couldn't communicate, and have an adventure. I mean, it's an opportunity for adventure. But now, young adults, I have some marital advice for you, okay? When you are in Western Turkey with your wife, and you have a rental car, and you are in a town that is not the town you thought you were going to, and all you see around you is a dirt road, and you're the only car around. And on the way over on your flight, you and your wife watch the movie Taken. Um, <laughs> this is not the time to have an adventure. This is free marital advice for our young marrieds over there. This is the time when I kept driving. I wave at the two older gentlemen who never even changed their expression as they saw us drive in a circle and leave their town, clearly realizing this is not the Pamaluke I'm looking for. And so I pull over on the dirt road and pull out my phone and I notice I have cell service, so I decided I would uh, open up the internet, all the while my wife was giving me um, all the reasons why one should write down directions ahead of time but so I pull open the internet and this is the other thing is the thought that's crossing my mind is I wonder how much this is going to cost me. Advice number two, young adults, when you are somewhere where your wife didn't expect you to be and data rates don't apply, okay, you go ahead and open and you pay for what it costs because I guarantee you it's cheaper than the extra hotel room you'll need the rest of your trip. So, so you open up I opened it up and found the directions and realized that, Palma, that Turkey has two towns with the name Pamaluke. So we got to one of them, but it was the wrong one. So I didn't miss the target, I just had the wrong target. You see, it's very easy as a church to 
hit a target, but when it's the wrong target, it's very frustrating. And so what I, say, what I mean when I say we need the right target, we need to be aiming at the right things when we love and serve others. I mean this. Our desire is not to love and serve others because we want to be good people. Our desire is not to love and serve others so that everyone in the community says, wow, you're a bunch of nice folks over there at Seacoast. We're so glad you do all those good things. We're so glad you're good people and you're, you're just nice. Now, if people say that, is that good? Of course it is. I would love if the reputation of Christians is, wow, we love Christians. They make the world a better place. But if all we're aiming at is to have a reputation of being good people, we're missing. We can hit that target. But it's going to be the wrong one and it's frustrating. See, the target we want to aim at is we want to aim to imitate Christ and to allow Jesus to shine through us. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, just verses 17 and 18. I have this, the words on the screen for you. And it says this, Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Spirit, or from the Lord, the Spirit. Now, that might sound confusing to you. In the context of this, what Paul is referring to is a story where Moses, at one point in, in Old Testament, in the scriptures, that he was having this encounter with God, and he left there, and it said his face was shining with the glory of God, but he would hide it. He would hide this image of God that's shining through him. And Paul ex- describes, it says, Christ removes this veil. He removes the veil between us and the law. He removes this that we can now in our lives reflect this image of God. Look at that when he says, we with an unveiled face, nothing separating us, are beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord. Now what is this? How many of you, when's the last time you woke up in the morning and you got out of the shower and you looked in the mirror and you said, wow, I see the glory of the Lord. I mean, maybe some of you have been working out. I know sometimes I'll work out and like, wow, the glory of the Lord. I'll turn that way and go, nope, not that way. <laughs> glory of, no. I mean, we don't think of ourselves. We don't think that when God sees us, he sees Jesus. But that's what we're told happens. And now look at this. As if we're looking in the mirror, we see this glory of the Lord. And what that means is the image of God in us. We're being transformed into that image from glory to glory. Some translations say in ever-increasing glory or more and more as the Spirit of God transforms us. You see, what we're aiming for is not to be known as good people. What we're aiming for is not that we can have a reputation of being nice. What we're aiming for is to be people who are being shaped and changed by what Jesus Christ is doing in and through us. So when we behold in the mirror, we see the image of God, but as our lives, as we continue to grow and learn more about Him and learn how to follow Him in our lives, that we're being transformed and what people see is more and more of Jesus, not more and more of you. And that gives us the freedom, the days when you fail, to look back and know that God the Father still sees Jesus Christ in you. The target isn't to be good. 
It's to let Jesus be known. To let Jesus transform us and to shine. When we love and serve others, that's our point. One author says this, a Christian author says, um, legalism says if God will love us if we change. The gospel, the good news of Jesus says, God will change us because he loves us. You see, if our target is just to change, if our target is just to be different, to be better, we're missing the point. Our target is to let the image of God in us be what, be what people see. And we are changed by that love of God through us. We want to have the right target that helps us to have compassion when we go. I had a friend in, in our old church. We were uh, part of a church plant, and, and they were a family that's good friends with ours to this day, and they were this family who liked to always have things in order. They were safe. Their life was safe. They raised their kids in a very safe way. They had everything planned and figured out. They were a really nice couple. One day it was after um, one of our gatherings and I was talking with the mother and she said something, an offhand comment. She just said, oh yeah, you know, ever since we've had this kid living in our garage. And then she kept talking. I said, whoa, 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 stop, stop. Tell me this, I need to hear, what, tell me more. And she said, yeah, well, we, we found this, we met this kid, he's 18 years old and he got kicked out of his house and, and he's really struggling. And so we decided we'd give him a place to live for a while to help him get back on his feet. And so he, we gave, set up a room in the garage and he's living there. And I was like, wait, okay, time out. <laughs> Where did that come from? You're safe. Like, and she just said, you know, we've been talking a lot here about this church, about just allowing God to speak to you and lead you and change you. And we just thought, huh, this seems like an opportunity that he called us to follow. I would have never expected that from them. In fact, the thought going through my mind is, I wouldn't do that right now, really. (laughs) But what was cool to see, and that's an extreme example, but what was happening is that her motivation wasn't to be good. It was to be changed by Jesus. And the way she saw the world was changing. That's the target. Let's see more of Jesus so the world sees more of him and not us. So when we love and serve others as a church, we do that with a posture that says it's about God changing who we are. And that helps us to be compassionate. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we end our time here today. As we end, I, I want to reiterate, we don't want you to leave here and say, well, okay, got to give up lunch today to somebody. You might, someone might, you might feel convicted to do that. You might. And if you do, follow the Spirit, do it. You might not. But we, want, we don't want you to leave here today thinking it's a list that we've added. It's a worldview, it's a perspective. We do want to be more compassionate. We do want to love and serve more. But don't leave here with added burden. Leave here saying, Jesus, can you shine in me? Help me develop the heart that you have for me. The one who was beaten and left on the side of the road. You had compassion. Teach me compassion. 
We're going to end our time in prayer, and I, I also want to give an opportunity here today. There might be some of you who you've never taken the opportunity to receive the grace and forgiveness that Jesus offers to you. You've never allowed him to rescue you from the side of the road and to heal you and put you on the path of new life. And if that's you this morning, in just a moment, we're going to pray, and I want to give you an opportunity to pray and pray a prayer this morning where you ask Jesus to forgive you and to enter this friendship with God today. Some of you, maybe you've done that before, but you've wandered away this morning. We want to give you an opportunity to wander back and welcome you home. And so as we pray, if that's you today, I want you just to think about that, and in just a moment, we're going to pray. I want to ask you, to listen to the Spirit who's transforming us and respond. So let's pray. God, we thank you that though we were beaten, though we were left for dead on the side of the road, though we had nothing to offer, you came and you scooped us up and you rescued us because you had compassion. God, we thank you for the life that we receive because of that. And we ask that we could be continuing to grow and let you shine more and more through us as we learn to follow you. Let it be for your name. And God, right now I want to pray for anyone in here who has never made that decision or who needs to remake that decision to follow you. God, would you draw their hearts to you now? And if that is you here today, would you pray these prayers with me in the quietness of your heart? Just pray, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I ask you to rescue me from the side of the road. I want to have a friendship with you and I want to experience the life that comes from you. Would you transform me today into your child, a child of God? And let's keep our eyes closed and heads bowed. And if that was you here today, you wanted to pray that either for the first time or a rededication, can you just take a moment and look up at me so I know I can pray for you this week? If that was you, that I can just, thank you. So I can just know who we're praying for. Thanks so much. Thank you. That's great. Another one over here. Thank you. We'll be praying for you this week. Thanks so much. God, we thank you for the way you're moving. I thank you for signs of new life. I thank you for the people you're welcoming home and welcoming back home. We thank you that all of heaven rejoices over just one person who, re who enters a friendship, a relationship with you. So this morning, God, all of heaven is rejoicing time and time again. We are grateful. And we ask that, Lord, you would keep using us for your name as we love and serve our world for Christ. I give you this time. Amen. Would you stand together and sing this last song as kind of our declaration of being a church who loves and serves our world in the name of Christ.